All right, guys, serious question about ASMRs. Serious question. How do they heat up their leftovers? Over a fire? Yeah. <laughs> Where are you going with this one? In a microwave on high. <laughs> Fuck off. <laughs> Can we, wait, wait, I have another one here. What are their favorite kind of tortilla chip dips? What? Guacaholi. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> okay, wait, 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 one more. How does an ASMR make holy water? How? <laughs> they boil the hell out of it. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck. What? You're welcome. I just felt like I needed to... <laughs> Not enough people here that do the puns. I just needed to do it. <laughs> that was even puns. That was dad jokes. You're welcome. Yeah. <laughs> it's a mimic. The roundtable Dungeons & Dragons discussion. Where you never know what you're going to get. Welcome to another episode in our conversation on playable races. I'm Adam, and with me today are Megan and Kyle. In this episode, it's called ASMRs, Touched by an Angel. In our conversation about playable races in D&D 5th Edition, we've already covered three kinds of dwarves, three kinds of halflings, and three kinds of gnomes. We've dedicated two episodes to six kinds of elves, assuming you don't split hairs with the Eladrin. We've done half-elves, half-orcs, and the 95,000 kinds of humans in the Forgotten Realms, and of course, we dedicated full episodes to Tieflings, Dragonborn, Genasi, and we had that special about Eric Coker a while back as well. You can find all of these episodes on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and dozens of other podcast apps, or you can jump over to YouTube and dig into the entire playlist called Off to the Races that we've built there. This episode, though, is going to focus on the opposite side of the Tiefling coin, and that's the ASMR. We learned all about the fiendish blood of Tieflings a couple of race episodes ago, but what happens when there's celestial influence in your life? Well, first of all, you'll probably need your Dungeon Master's approval before you can even exist if you're going to play an ASMR because not every DM lets you. Before we get started, would you guys let a player play an ASMR at your table? I, uh, I feel like they would have to be very knowledgeable and like a, a veteran player. So that you kind of know how they play and you've played with them before. I feel like it's one of those kinds of characters that can get really out of hand really fast. Either A, for someone who's not used to playing a character like that. And B, someone you've never played with before. Okay. I would require a lot of prep work and a lot of backstory and uh, like a lot of information. So I know where you're going to go with this. Like, Yeah, you're coming with baggage when you're an ASMR. Yeah. I feel like these guys are the, not qu- the, the, the dulled edge of the edgelord. They're not as edgy as the tiefling rogue assassin in the corner but my god these guys come with baggage yeah (laughs) so so for those of you who don't know what we're talking about uh let's let's jump into it these guys are for lack of a better word half angels in D. &D. that is that's not accurate not really but it's a good place to start the conversation whereas tieflings were humans that had the kind of idea of infernal blood it didn't just have to be infernal blood in their system When most people think about tieflings, they think about, okay, half-devil. And that's not quite true. As a matter of fact, there's very few tieflings out there that actually have diabolical devilish blood in their system. If you want a half-devil, you end up with a cambion. 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 (laughs) So when you... You end up being a tiefling because there's someone in your past who's done a deal with the devil or someone who has, you know, bumped uglies with the devil. And then it pops up now uh, on every descendant from that, right? So your great-great-grandfather made a pact with the devil and now you are a tiefling. 
That's not quite the case anymore. Um, that, that used to be the half devil, used to be how tieflings were. But for Asimars, it used to be a half celestial or a half angel. Now it can be anywhere in your lineage, but it's not like a blessing has, has turned you in to an Asimar. This is not someone who has been you know, touched by a god or there's been some sort of angelic presence in their grandfather's life. It's not like that. It is you straight up have an ancestor who has banged an angel. Yeah, so there's mm. some definite bumping uglies happening somewhere in your Oh, lineage. those are bumping pretties, though. Because, is it, though? Oh, angels and Asimars <laughs> specifically are known for being pretty. Now, not every family tree with an Asimar in it is littered with Asimars. This is one of those things that pops up every few generations. But let, let me get into it. These things are considered pseudo-celestials. So they're specifically humans. You don't find dwarf or elven Asimars. It has to be a human with this kind of backstory. Um, but they have specifically an angelic guide. So the reason that they are the Asimar that they are is because a god has decided it is time now for this baby to become an Asimar. There's a lot of that weird fuckery with, with babies in D&D. &D hags are always stealing them. Devils are always trying to get them. Fairies are always replacing. There's a lot of baby kerfuckery and now... Now we have the Celestials in on it as well. So, are you saying that, you know, the the angel blood is in, you know, the family line, and then they're just like, this one? Yeah. They they activate it. Some okay. god says, bloop, there you go, and you're an ASMR. But, you don't know you're an ASMR right away. When you are a young child, you start to get visions. You start to have these dreams, and it's, it's always in dreams, where you are visited by this angelic guide. And that's how they phrase it in the books a lot, an angelic guide. And it's actually an angel. Your blood can be from any celestial, but it's an angel that is your guide. A god chose you, and an angel will speak to you. Convoluted enough? Yeah, I mean, there's a middleman. That's all that means. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I also want to point out that a lot of the um, the non-angelic celestials, they, they say celestial, right? Not yeah. angelic, celestial. Have you guys looked at any of the non-angel celestials? They're all freaking flying snakes and unicorn deers. Like, there's... <laughs> who's banging these things? It's clearly supposed to be angels. Well, if Greek mythology has taught me anything. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's that. And as we learned, and I think it was a tiefling episode, we don't kink shame on this podcast. No kink yeah. shaming whatsoever. Right. I was okay. about to call it out, but I mean, I feel like it's, all right. it's there. So, um, you can actually find this info in Volo's Guide to Monsters. Um, and there's some different flavor and, and setting nuance that's in the Explorer's Guide to Wildmount as well. But the mechanics there are essentially the same. Um, the basic idea here is that these are souls that are imbued with the goodness from Mount Celestia by some parentage way back when um, that is now being activated by a god and they will send an angel to be a messenger in your dreams to give you visions. Sounds like having a distant dad with a cool uncle. Kinda, right? Your family reunion's gonna get weird, especially yeah. because angels like and celestials are in theory immortal. So that's when the flying deer horse shows up, and everyone's like, "Oh, Aunt Becky." <laughs> <laughs> so um, uh, the other interesting thing about this is they mature at the same rate as humans. It doesn't say they reach adulthood at the same. They say they mature at the same rate, but they can grow to be as old as 160 years old, which means a 50-year-old Asimar looks like a 50-year-old human. 
and a 160-year-old ASMR will look like a 160-year-old. There are some old... If there is an ancient-looking human somewhere in your village, chances are good. They've got some some angelic blessing to, to them. <laughs> These ASMRs are born specifically to be champions. Their births are seen as blessings and good omens. Sometimes even as much as a miracle. Even the text says that they are placed in the world to serve as guardians of law and good. So you don't have to be lawful or good, but your reason for existing is to be that. So that is your origin when you are an ASMR. Hmm. Also, the idea that they are placed in the world means that specifically you are here for a reason. You have a destiny. Not every adventurer can say that. But you essentially come with a prophecy when you choose to be an ASMR. And if your DM doesn't know that, make them aware of that. Like before, like this is a session zero kind of conversation, mm. right? Which is why I say you got to get your DMs involved early. Yeah. I mean, these guys are clearly part angelic. And they've got the physical features that display them as such. You see a lot of like silver hair and gold uh, irises in the eyes. But traditionally speaking in 5th edition... This is not something as subtle as some of the tiefling characteristics or the Genasi characteristics. You know an ASMR when you see them. They are tall, they are strikingly beautiful, and they are there's something angelic about them. They don't have wings, let me be clear. There are no wings. They don't have a halo. They're not walking around with a harp under their arm. They just have that like bone structure of an angel. They've got the, the way that they carry themselves, their posture... And there's going to be something like they're they're always tanned even in like the dead of winter. I feel like they we talked about them when they age they become super weird and ugly and like like wrinkly. Now I'm imagining just like a fucking silver fox until you're like 160 years old. <laughs> oh, this is the most beautiful just, raisin I've ever just, seen. I know, <laughs> it's a wonderful glowing raisin in front of me. I love this. Can I get an example of a silver fox? Just I'm trying to I'm trying to think who's the who's the like really beautiful like celebrity old man that is just like still super fucking handsome george clooney no, george clooney's pretty good yeah yeah i want to say harrison ford but he's looking a little frumpy these days yeah well he's in his like he's someone's dad yeah, like but, that's yeah. what he looks like yeah but like 160 like i said from a very young age they get these visions they get these guidance from angelic beings and it always comes in their dreams these visions are meant to inspire them to be righteous and good always that's what they're meant to do they're Often prophecies, you get weird feelings and vague ideas uh, instead of spoken commands or actual um, like direct words that are given to you. You get kind of a, an impression of the idea of what you're supposed to do next. Like I say, it is a guide. I want to grab dice. I want to roll. What would be a vision? Just like off the top of your head right now, a vision that an angel would give to someone. And what does it mean? Let's grab our dice. Oh, I got a 13. Kyle, you're going first oh, with a 19. 19. Um, so I see a series of images. So maybe landmarks that you would recognize that would lead you to a certain place, like maybe say a village, and then you'd see flashes of an enemy terrorizing a town, people screaming, maybe buildings on fire. You know, something that's going to lead you that you can maybe recognize some of it, but some of it is you know, something that you've never seen before, but maybe you've had it explained to you. Mm -hmm. So you have an idea that this place actually does exist, but it's not just things that you, or things that you already know, because then you could just construe it as a nightmare. 
So it has to be something clear and defined, but maybe something that also is incorporating uh, stuff your character wouldn't know, I guess. Yeah, there's a lot. You, you have to drop clues as a DM, yeah. right? And so your players got to sit there and write down exactly what this vision is. And be like, all right, well, what the fuck? Now I'm I'm looking for like a like the three eyed raven in Game of Thrones is a great yeah. example. Right? Yeah, yeah. I feel like the easiest kind of glues to drop would just be like random symbols for things, like not even landmarks or what have you, but like random shapes and symbols, so that when you do end up in a place, you as a DM can be like, all right, well, you've seen you walk into a town that is oddly triangular. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, keep your eyes out for like a, a purple V or a, a, a red eight-pointed star or something like that. Like that kind of... Yeah, I kind of feel. Look, we've spoken about visions and whatnot in um, one of the Clerics episodes that came out. Um, I want to say it was the second one. We went off about visions um, kind of at length in that one. But the thing that I really like that I've been thinking about since is you always dream of a banquet. It's always a banquet, but there are different people there all the time, and it's always in grayscale, except some people are in different colors. They glow with auras, and the different colors mean different things, but the player doesn't know what they mean yet and have to figure it out. For example, red means they need help. Black means that they've got a secret. Not that they're evil, but they have a secret. Uh, When they glow yellow, it's a highlight to say, hey, look out for that guy. They're evil. Kill them, even though glowing yellow might make them say, oh, that's an ally. Right, so they've got to decipher these prophecies throughout a campaign as they go. Okay. <laughs> Just imagine getting stabbed by somebody, but you were glowing gold. <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine that moment though for a player like that? Betrayal becomes just that much more personal. Damn you, angels! <laughs> well, not every angel is omniscient. They don't always have all of the options or all of the information, even right. They have a very specific wheelhouse that they operate in. So when you are in ASMR, you have your one specific angel that speaks directly to you. It's not one of many angels or a host. It is definitively one that guides you on behalf of Mount Celestia. And it says in the lore that most guides are Deva. This is really weird to me because Deva are CR10. But I want to talk about that in a second. So... Angelic insights are are limited. They're coming from a creature that is only halfway up the CR scale, right? They aren't gods. These angels are not gods. And while they may be operating from the point of good and law, or they may be doing the, the communication on behest of a god, they are not gods and they don't always have the, all of the answers. They may not understand the moral gray area or the idea of compromise because they come from such a rigid, lawful, good perspective on the world. This can often lead ASMRs to start to question and argue with the angelic presence. Uh, why do you keep sending me to do this thing? Why, why wouldn't it be easier for me to just do this? Can you imagine if you always... I mean, think a liar, liar. Mm. right? If you always had to tell the truth, that would blow up in your face 100% of the time. Little white lies can go a long way. But your messenger may not want you to do that. So how do you handle that from a roleplay perspective? There's a lot of good opportunities for DMs to be roleplaying these angelic guides as well. So I wanted to go into kind of what some of the guides are because we have three angels and because it's always specifically an angelic guide, not a celestial guide. So we have three angels that are available in the monster manual. The Guildmaster's Guide to Ravnica also gave us another three. 
There's also the Empyrean out there and Archons in Ravnica and Theros, but they're not strictly angels by 5th edition definition. So I'm not going to, to break them down. The six angels we have are, I'm going to start from the Monster Manual, Davis, they're CR10, and these guys are messengers and errand boys who like to walk amongst the mortals, inspiring the mortals to do good and to feel safe and just and whatnot. Which, I mean, it works right in that they are very much the um, the poster boy for messenger, for the plane of, of uh, Celestia. Then there's the CR16 Planetar. These guys are tools and weapons of the gods with a greater vision and a bigger purpose. These guys want to be on a battlefield, and they thrive in a fight. Then you have the CR20 Solars, which are direct stewards of specific gods. They rarely get involved with mortals, and they often wait, meditating, until they're called upon. We covered all three of these guys in episode, I want to say, 71, where we also covered the Imperion as well. So if you want deep dives into what these guys can do and whatnot, head over to that episode. But... I discovered that there are only 24 Solars in existence, which is interesting. I read it as there's confusion. It might there's be rumors minimum have it, yeah. of 24 as well. So there are 24 known Solars. I would stick to the 24 and hand out a freaking list. Here you go. <laughs> Here's a 24. And hey, that one just showed up dead in Town Square. Yeah. Right. 23. <laughs> In Ravnica, you get a CR5, which is a lot lower. This is the Battle Force Angel. And they're all about battle, and they lead armies of mortals. They feel that their value is proven on the battlefield, and they are zealous combatants. They're all about fighting. The CR12 is the Fire Main Angels, who are also all about fighting, but instead of leading armies and wiping clean the... the negative uh, aspects of evil on the battlefield, these guys are like duelists. They thrive in one-to-one combat. They try to find the leaders of the enemy forces, and they let everybody else deal with the riffraff. So they're going to go 1v1, that guy over there. On guard. Yeah. <laughs> was that French? Was You're that welcome, yeah. Oh, my God. That was the most <laughs> Italian French I've ever heard. <laughs> did my name is Emilio Montoya. <laughs> you killed my father. Prepare to die. <laughs> um, and then there's the CR-14 Death Pact Angel. These guys are actually lawful evil. And they focus on bestowing gifts and demanding obedience. They like to encourage mortals to become indebted to them. I will do this for you, but then you owe me. To the point where they will actually even enslave spirits of the deceased. And then when the Death Pact Angel dies, they will actually sacrifice one of these indentured spirits to come back with one hit point later. It's like a loan shark. Exactly like a loan shark. I just want to play an L.A. Noir game with like... Them as the kingpin. Mm. Be dope. That'd be cool. <laughs> right? <laughs> um, if you like that, Death Pact Angels are literally tied to the Mafia in Ravnica. Writing so. this down for later. <laughs> <laughs> Let's grab dice. And uh, I want to know, which one is your favorite angel to inspire um, a player? God, Kyle. I'm rolling like keep shit the... today. I'm so sad. All right. So I'm going first and then Kyle second. We're, we're doing the same thing all over. Oh. Okay. So the Deva makes a lot of sense. So it is clearly the quote-unquote right answer here. The others are so battle-hardened. If I'm going to look at an Ace Tomorrow that is a Oath of Conquest, I really like the Firemane Angels. These are the, the duelists that actually get... I believe they have the ability to compel 
other people to fight them on the battlefield. So they will they have a mechanic in the game. They will point at someone and say, "Come fight me," and that person has to come fight you. Like that's a lot of fun for me. Mm-hmm. Um, it also makes them really singular minded and and very focused. So they're I think they'd be kind of shitty guides, which I also think is fun from a DM perspective. <laughs> yeah, I feel like they'd be shitty guides because they would send everybody into battle and then they'd fuck off and do their own thing and actually yeah. take the glory of the actual winning of the battle that had occurred. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Why would I let this guy do it when I can do it well, myself? I would just myself. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna need you to fight those four hundred little minor devils down there. Yeah. I'm gonna go fuck off and take on this guy over here, right? Mm. And then, Kyle? Uh, okay, so I actually have a whole bunch of ones for uh, the different sub-races. So I thought Action Riders, the Archons, uh, would make a great guide for Fallen ASMRs. Okay, so... Along so, with the Death Pack Angel. I'm oh, sorry. Yeah, no. The the Ashen Riders... Okay, so Archons, not technically angels in 5th edition, but I would totally let this happen, right? Mm-hmm. They are from Theros, I believe. And I want to say off the top of my head, these are the ones that... Um, these were celestial beings. They're kind of humanoid. Like, they look like men. Um, but they went down into the underworld, right? Yeah. And they went down there and then got corrupted by the underworld. And then they came back to... This is for Fallen ASMR? Yeah. That's cool. I like that. The Death angel of the out. undead. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and corrupted. So, you know, they just kind of spread it as they go. The Boros War Leaders, I think, would make go great for Scourge ASMRs. It makes a good tension uh, between the player and the guide since the word leader can be aloof and not see immediate concerns right like they plan centuries in advance for what they're planning to do right so it kind of fits in with uh you know a guide leading a soldier because that's essentially what they are to the other angels um and they just like to kill those ones are specifically the battle force angels those are the the boros leaders yeah exactly Uh, but it's interesting they're only cr5 which means it's not going to take long now, keep in mind that a CR5 creature is stacked up against four level five adventures, right? But it's not going to take long for you to outpower your messenger. That's a good point, actually. I never thought about it like that. I think that's that's really interesting that you can surpass your messenger. And then even, you know, at high levels, you do your own thing and they come knocking on the door like, what the fuck? You say, fight me. Yeah. <laughs> what do you, I, I what am do you the leader do? now. <laughs> <laughs> I am the captain now. Yeah. <laughs> what did you have for the protector? Uh, well, the divas and the planetars and the solars make sense. Okay, so the thing that bugs me about them is they make me think of Pokemon. Like, because divas like evolve into planetars and then they evolve into solars, right? Like, if they gain, yeah, well, they if they gain favor, yeah, kind of. It's not well supported. And there are, in theory, dozens of other kinds of angels in the middle as well. You know how devils and demons have, like, literally hundreds of them? And you can rank up yeah. when you're a devil. Oh, I'm chilling out as a bearded devil today. Next month I'm a bone devil because I just I did a whole bunch of evil shit. Right? It's the same kind of idea with angels, but we don't get all the steps in the middle. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how I feel about that. <laughs> I, I want there to be more angels. You know, there's some really cool angels and shit in... Um, Strongholds and Followers by Matt Colville. Okay. They've got and it's weird biblical angels, like the wheel with a thousand eyes and seventeen wings, and like it's it's fucking strange angel shit. Yeah. And in my head, those guys, even though they're like middle range CR, I feel like they would be way up there. Like thematically, these guys are the bosses. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Megan, what do you think? Um, so I feel like it depends on the kind of campaign you're playing, to be honest with you. And the reason I say that is because I've been playing in a lot of campaigns right now that have large battlefield battles. And every DM has decided on a different way to handle being on the battlefield, whether it's through a mini game, whether it's through you deal with different patches, your characters are actually involved, you're just dealing with different areas of the battlefield, you're solving small problems as things go. And I feel like having a battle force messenger, if you were to have an ASMR on your team going into a battle would be a neat thing to have. Mm-hmm. Just because they would give it like, I feel like you would almost want to give them a bonus for knowing where to go, what to do, like, like advantage on roles to figuring out the battle structure, like that kind of thing. And I mean, Davas are pretty simple. It's the easiest one to go for, but I feel like depending on what kind of campaign you're playing, it'd be really interesting to have one tie into what it is that your group is doing. Because that would also make more of a reason for your ASMR to be there. Yeah. Right? Like there's really no reason for a battle ASMR to show up. And be like, hey, what's up? I'm here to help you guys out with this non-battle you're having. You know, yeah, like, you un- know? <laughs> unless they're like, they're move, you are the final chess piece to launch that fight. Yeah. Right. I I like that. Okay, so total sidebar here. Um, I'm super late to the game on this, but Mieka was in town over the summer. And she introduced me to Hamilton, the musical. Mm, mm-hmm. um, have you guys seen it? Yeah. Nope. I did. That was totally backwards. I was expecting it to be the other way around. <laughs> uh, I've listened to it. A lot, because everybody in my life loves it. You, and you should watch it. It's worth the watch. I know. You I get just, more out of it. It's an investment of my time, and I have a lot of other Netflix things to watch. That That's so, that's so, fair. Yeah. The I don't want to talk about Hamilton. I really don't. But the idea that George Washington shows up and is a character and is the general. And at one point, Hamilton and I forget who else. It's been a while. I saw it once. It's been a while. They have to defend his good name by by having a duel over there. At, uh, and they go and they, they, they have a duel and they fight. And Hamilton is told by George Washington, you know, ignore this, do this instead. I can deal with that level of minor shit on my own. I, I'm going to let it, like, roll off my back and we can, we shouldn't be spending our energy on that. I like the idea, but, but of course, Hamilton says, you're vulnerable, we need to step up, we need to... I support you 100%. And then later in the story, in history, Washington wants to support Hamilton. I think that that's really cool for like a Battle Force Angel or a Deva, who is like the general, the person that you are there to support. You follow orders. You are their advisor. And then you become powerful enough. They step down. They get wounded in battle something. And then they've got to support you from behind as well. Mm-hmm. Okay. I like the idea of your mission in a war, in a battle, is protect this CR5 angel. Oh, yeah. Because, you know, we just talked about how weak they are. So yeah. your job is actually here to protect this. Yeah, yeah. that makes sense. So now, okay, back to ASMR and, and away from angels. ASMR, one of the interesting things about them, I, I said before, they're kind of like the blunted edge. They are edge lordy, and it is because they operate in secret. One of the things that I used to see a lot in previous editions and in, up until this this campaign that I'm in now is the idea of the secret origin that there's always one person in every campaign that's like, I have this secret backstory that nobody else gets to know. ASMRs are ripe for that shit. Anytime that someone says, I'm going to play a human and I'm another one of the players, I, I narrow my eyes and I go, all right, but what the fuck are you really? Oh, I love playing human characters. Yeah, unless you're Megan. <laughs> unless Megan you're me. Just, <laughs> Megan just, just plays... 
human blonde girls. Shut up. In like gleaming, shining armor. Shut up. <laughs> what are you, fighter? Yeah, but what kind of fighter? I don't know, fighter. I like fighting stuff. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I have seen so many ASMRs that are waiting for the moment to reveal themselves, right? And it's actually in the lore, which annoys me a little bit. Because they do like to operate with a low profile. They're not meant to be the big, boisterous leader, the face of the party. They are there to vanquish evil through subtle means. They inspire others, and they are totally willing to throw that cloak off and draw their sword. But they don't necessarily want to draw the attention. This is because the forces of evil would happily kill or capture one of the ASMR. And like any ASMR that they could find. This is a huge boon for them. And I really, really like that. Because the ASMR will never put a mortal in harm's way to protect themselves. And they're always looking out for the side of good. But they're also trying to stay low profile enough to almost be a terrorist against evil. Mm. Right? Yeah. So, I'm, I got sitting there thinking, why are these cults hunting down ASMR? What do they get out of it besides just, you know, yeah, fuck you, good. Like, when you get past the Skeletor reasoning, what's the purpose for hunting down an ASMR? Because there's always the, you know, thought that that ASMR's purpose of being is to destroy that cult, right? Like, they don't know what their overall purpose is, right? So it's just fuck them over before they can get fucked back kind of thing. You, you think it's a preemptive strike? Yeah. Right? Do, you, do you have an idea? Well, I do feel like it's along those lines in the sense where the idea that these beings are chosen by a higher being, it's almost like, okay, well, we can't have this being walking the planet because it belongs to something that either we don't believe in. So it might be a cult that's against the gods or what yeah. have you. And they're like, we don't want your messengers on our planet. So we need to call them off here because that means that they're taking over our territory. Like that kind of, like it's a... Good versus evil territorial thing in my mind. I was really thinking, wouldn't it be neat if ASMR blood or hair or tears or something would be an ingredient for a spell? Oh, I was going to say yeah, they're doing it for one. the wings, but I didn't want to go down that route. Well, ASMR traditionally don't have wings, right? They don't. They're just they're just supermodels. But I feel like they wouldn't know that. They'd just be like, there's wings on this bitch. I've heard stories. And then they yeah. would kill them, realize there's no wings. And then to your point, like the hairs or the tears or the... I, I Sacrificing them on an altar for their power. Absolutely. Like, it's got to be shit like that, right? And it's not just like, maybe you need the blood of, a, of an ASMR to, to get to your lichdom, right? To become a proper lich, to build a phylactery. Mm. Because there are rules for that, but there's not actually a written rules. They say there are rules and they don't give you what they are. <laughs> yeah. Right. There's always like, oh, doing dark rituals. You're like, okay, but there's a bubbling cauldron. Of what? Yeah. Of what? And if it's like spinal fluid from a freaking ASMR over in the corner, like, I think it'd be really cool. Can you imagine what a hag would get up to with ASMR bits? Uh, I don't want to, but yeah. 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 <laughs> Can you imagine the fertility spell that they could cast? Oh, my Lanta. Ooh. All right. I was also like, sure, it would I don't be... know why that's the first place your mind went, but all right. Well, I was trying. To... Oh well, what are hags gonna gonna focus on that's gonna be different than devils or demons yeah. or you know yeah. liches, right? And they they get into hags are my favorite because they're weird. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I feel like when it be like it doesn't happen often, but some, I've played in a campaign where one of our characters wanted lichdom. 
Oh, yeah. And uh, wouldn't it have been great if one of the rules that you as a DM gave them was you need the blood of an ASMR? <laughs> uh, but that ASMR needs to be dead. And then someone in your party is an ASMR. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what a great world would that be? <laughs> Just narrowing your eyes over <laughs> over 17 or 18 different sessions. Mm. Going, Soon. I, I'm not going to kill you. But I will not bring you. I'm gonna. When you're on death says, I'm just gonna kneal on your throat. I'm out. I'm trying to revive him. <laughs> I'm Lunch. giving CPR. I swear. It's like fucking the, breaking the his ribs. Down. Just, yeah. <laughs> so not every ASMR, however, has this this angelic guide and is anti evil and like there is gray area in the world. And when they come into contact with evil and compromise and whatnot out there, sometimes they can have their faith shaken. Hmm. So it's. Not really common, but it has been known to happen. They get disillusioned. They turn away from their angelic guide, thinking that the influence that they've uh, felt for their entire lives since they were a child is actually akin to brainwashing. And that this is really just the cult of the good guys telling me what my destiny needs to be. And we have seen that in in pop culture and in media before, where there's been like, I don't want to be the hero. I don't want to be the savior. I want to live my life, right? Why can't I fall in love and settle down? Why do I have to go questing over the mountains to go fight the demons? What You told me I'm going to die. I don't want to do this, right? Sometimes these ASMRs actually end up falling from grace completely and become evil, at which point their angelic guide completely abandons them and they're cut off from Mount Celestia and the forces of good. Their power then shifts from radiance to darkness, and they actually become particularly deadly, according to the lore. You don't want to fight a fallen ASMR. So, there's not a whole lot of information. Like, you look, you go into Volos, and there's uh, two pages of info on three sub-races, and, like, there's very little. When you compare it up against, like, elves, and even, I felt Janassi had more, more stuff to dig into. Yeah. I had to do a lot of digging into tieflings. Hmm. Ace Mars didn't have a whole lot. So I started to dig through previous editions to find what I could what I could. Hmm. The earliest appearance um was in second edition in the Planescape campaign setting. Now Planescape is all about the planes. Clearly. Yeah. Um yeah. Um but I went digging through my DD library, which is deep, but it ain't that deep. I don't have this book, so I can't tell you what exactly was going on back then, but I do know that this gave us the idea of them being what's called plane touched. In previous editions, up until 5th edition, anything from another plane that was not the material plane was considered an outsider. Asamar, Janasi, Tieflings, anything that had an, any sort of lineage based on an outsider was called plane touched. And that's... I <laughs> I had a player one time. <laughs> it took me a second there. Yeah, <laughs> got there. <laughs> yeah, I, I had a player one time called him Planet Ouched, yeah. which made me very oh. happy. But yeah, um, that was way back in three point five. But the idea of the the plane touched the Asamar, the Janassi, and the Tiefling specifically are the three plane touched creatures that have made it over into fifth edition, and they've abandoned the term outsider or plane touched. But if your DM ever ever brings that up that's what it means so i went digging around in 3.5 because i have a lot of 3.5 books but i found that only three of them had any sort of reference to what asmr used to be so in 3.5 in the monster manual um they actually have them broken down as a monster 
with the option to build a character from it. They had a thing called level adjustments. So you could start, or you could play an ASMR, but you essentially started at level two. So at, uh, you would you were one level behind everybody else on your classes because your race was that much more powerful. That was a constant mechanic they had that was very complicated and kind of unnecessary. But it did give us some cool lore. The Monster Manual said there's no such thing as a typical ASMR. There's no culture or society to speak of because these guys tend to be very rare and they tend to be lone wolves. It was specific that they are very tall and very good looking. So they've got an imposing model-like um, physique. They are definitively good aligned and they fight against evil no matter what. Although they are quick to judge. <laughs> In here again, it says they're almost never leaders and they tend to be loners. Some can be fanatical, but not all of them necessarily are. So that's what we get from the Monster Manual as far as lore. It Again, there's not a whole lot about these guys. I find it interesting the point that it's like they, they're not leaders and they are lone wolves. In my mind, when I see an ASMR or think of an ASMR in a party, I would almost see them as that person is a leader of this group. It really feels like it, doesn't it? It, it's like it feels like that should innately be built into it. So it's kind of an interesting play on they probably did live a life of isolation. I mm -hmm. almost feel like Gandalf is an ASMR. Yeah. Right? Because he, he's he's plain touched, like, the, by lore. I'm going to keep saying that. Yeah. Megan's going to keep giggling to herself. <laughs> so the, it's plain touched, like, by lore. And he's got all these, like, magical powers bestowed upon him. And But he's always off doing his own thing. He doesn't want to... He doesn't want the One Ring. He doesn't want to rule a kingdom. He just is off fighting evil for the sake of fighting evil. Mm. Yeah. I guess, yeah. And he is... Tall and you can pick him out of a crowd, right? Is he a gray fox? I I would, yeah. You mean? Yeah. <laughs> you seen that stat? I'll Jesus. throw that out there. <laughs> I'm all right with it. Um, so so I dug into another book. I found that there was more in 3.5 from the Planar Handbook, which told us again these are definitively good aligned. In 3.5, you had to be good. You are distinctly descendants from angels and humans, and you. Can, you can display minor physical traits, but you mostly look human. That's different now in 5th edition. So the purists, the classic players out there, are going to say, oh no, you, you can totally masquerade as a human, but, I mean, 5th edition is very clear. No, you look like a fucking angel without wings. Hmm. They're um, constantly trying to hide their identity. That just seems, like, kind of incongruous to me, right? Well, like, I mean, it's not like they're strutting around in vogue all the time, you know what yeah. I mean? Like, look at how beautiful I am. Well, the idea is that they're always wearing hoods and even masks as well to hide who they are. They will wear closed helms um, to kind of hold back. But then... When it is time. It's so beautiful, it's dangerous. Well, <laughs> even your armor is yeah. shining. <laughs> you, do you remember? I'm going to lean on Lord of the Rings again. You remember how much the people were looking to Aragorn to lead, even though Theoden was the king of Ron? Mm -hmm. Everyone from Ron was like, hey, Aragorn's the shit, right? And he has elven blood in him, and he's all like, look at me and my wispy chest hair, mm -hmm. right? And everybody. So wispy. <laughs> <laughs> and so, like, everybody was super in love with that. And again, when you have like Galadriel shows up and Gimli is like clearly totally besmitten with how beautiful she is. This is a distraction from the quest. We have good to do. There's things going on. Talk to the people that are actually the leaders, mm. right? Do, do not focus on me, right? And so that's that's the altruism that you're going to get from ASMR. Um, so they do hide themselves because they don't want the limelight. It also said that uh, they have... 
I thought this was kind of interesting. Um, they've got an affinity with half-breeds, and they have a natural distrust and disliking of tieflings. They really lean on the good and evil alignments in, in 3.5. Mm-hmm. But the idea that half-elves and half-orcs and uh, Janassi and whatnot are quick friends for these guys, because they all we all know what it means to be not quite human. We're, we're all outcasts. We're, we're the losers club, right? Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. Which feels a little... They actually used the word half-breed in it, and I went, well, that wouldn't fly today. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I can imagine them sitting in a group of people, the ASMRs, are just like, oh, my people, and everyone else is like, god damn, that guy for being so beautiful. Why is he here? Who brought this guy? <laughs> um, it also said specifically that there's no pantheon for ASMRs, but if they worship a god, it is good-aligned or law-aligned. Yeah, checks out. And they also said, these guys are paladins. Yeah, that's an easy yeah, one. That yeah. makes sense. No, 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 but like... If you find one, they are a paladin. Mm-hmm. And it strongly encourages you to put character classes on NPCs in 3.5. So they're like, when you build it, build it with paladin. Yeah. Um, and then they gave us another book called Races of Destiny, which gave us even more ASMR shit, which is these guys are champions of good who stay on the front lines in the war against evil. This is all the same shit over and over again, mm-hmm. said different ways. They radiate goodwill and positivity. They are pleasant and approachable. Approachable. Even though they don't want you to know who they are, they want to help as well, right? Um, they're often driven and focused on their goals. The, like, I'm really starting to see a constant theme here um, across all of the editions. The, but these guys don't like the spotlight. They avoid leadership and, uh, and authority roles. That's that's the same kind of uh, feel that we're getting in 5th edition. They are... Now, in this book, they it said specifically, they are particularly friendly with others... With other ASMR. So if there's one or two that meet up, they will actually band together and you can get little roving bands of ASMR as well. But if they ever find a fallen ASMR, oh, that bitch gonna die. Hmm. They will raffle stomp you in the street. This is gonna be like a Wild West showdown. This is like the fallen ASMR is in dire straits. It's an anathema to exactly. the regular ASMR. I just want to see two, like, good-aligned ASMRs, like, cross each other in a marketplace. Like, you just know. Yeah. And then they just lock eyes, like, did we just become best friends? Yup. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, again, it says they don't have a homeland, and that still tracks in 5th edition, right? They are loners, but now it says that they are profoundly religious. So, in 3.5, um, it says there's a big, big lean on the religion, where in 5th edition, we kind of abandoned that. Yeah. You have an angel, but you don't necessarily have a god. But even back here, we see that in 3.5, they don't necessarily pray so much as they acknowledge their angelic roots and they use their good deeds and actions to show their faith and the commitments to the gods. So paladins were very religious and divine back then as well. So that tracks for 3.5. But I like that. The idea that your ASMR probably doesn't pray. Why would he? He's got a direct conduit to somebody else. Yeah, I've gotten... Fucking Joe over here in the corner. And Fucking Angel Joe in the Angel corner. Joe. Goddamn Angel Joe. <clears throat> My name is Joseph. <laughs> it's Joe. <laughs> and again, they said that they're paladins, but they can also be clerics or monks because of the good and the law. Yeah. Um, but they're rarely rogues and almost never barbarians. That which sucks. tracks still for the flavor. Yeah. You're not going to see many ASMR barbarians. Is there anything else? I don't see many ASMR cleric or uh, warlocks. Even though you have a celestial warlock, I feel like that's really rare. 
Because you have to like promise yourself to a power, basically. Yeah. To do that. So I feel like it defeats the purpose. Yeah, yeah. Or there's gonna be conflict of interest. So is there anything else that they're clearly not, or they clearly are, off the top of your head? Like I don't think they're a bard. If they don't like the spotlight, they're not gonna be a bard. No, probably not. Yeah, I feel like anything majorly charisma based is even though like paladins are charisma based. Yeah, and but you get like the divine soul sorcerer. Like the <laughs> Divine Soul Sorcerer, by the way, has the same fucking origin story. You have this magic power because one of your parents is a yeah is an angel. It's almost built into it, right? So, like, clearly, those things are supposed to go hand in hand. Mm. But it drives me nuts. I just I fucking hate you're stepping on on the toes. The Divine Soul Sorcerer sounds like the uh, you know less liked little brother version of it oh yeah you weren't picked by the god but yeah. you still have that angelic shit in your bloodline you're a happy accident <laughs> the longest air quotes i've ever seen in my life <laughs> so i dug around fourth edition as well to see what they had to say about asmr in there because i was desperate for more information and i found that they are mentioned once and only once and i mean there's literally the word published once in one book in all of 4th edition. Asimar do not exist. There was another race called Deva, which are not the angels that we have now. The the Deva then um, are servants of good gods who bound themselves to mortal flesh. And they're all about um, wisdom and intelligence. They don't have dark vision. They get bonuses to history and religion checks. They're resistant to necrotic and they're linked to the astral sea. So that doesn't have anything to do with Asimars or, or anything else. Um, also, if they become corrupted, these devas turn into Rakshasa, which yeah. is a huge departure from what Asmar are. But in some regions, they call them Asmar. Fuck. Okay, fourth edition. I don't know what fucking drugs you're on. <laughs> get the fuck out of here. Get the fuck out. So, but that got me. That got me looking at what the mechanics for fifth edition are. Right. It's a plus two to charisma. So, I mean, they're going to be, if not a paladin, a sorcerer. Yeah. Right. Yeah. They're usually good, but they don't have to be. 30-foot movement, 60-foot dark vision when shades are gray. Pretty standard. This is um, pretty much every one of your Volos races so far. They do get resistance to necrotic and radiant. And they have healing hands, which is a power that they have, which is one action. You get to touch one other creature, and that creature can regain hit points equal to the ASMR's level once per long rest. You also get to know the light cantrip, and you know common and celestial. I don't understand the light cantrip. Like, why would you get dark vision and then also the light? Because you are a beacon of light for others. Okay, I guess so. That makes sense. Right? Like, this is the blessing from the gods working through you for us. What? Oh, my God. What if you were just a bodyguard for that guy? (laughs) The gods are like, hey, we're going to send you a bodyguard. Somebody find me a baby. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, Find me a baby. (laughs) I'm going to check my my holy Rolodex. Yeah. Because he's a holy Rolodex. And he's going to uh, then find out, okay, which one of my angels has banged a mortal? There we go. Yeah. I feel like there has to be a lot of like HR paperwork to be like, okay, who have you who have you touched? Eskimo brothers for your They literally have a human's a human resources department. Yeah, and then on one line he gets a piece of paper like Joseph. <laughs> really? <laughs> Fucking Angel Joe over there. In the <laughs> Just having a good time. <laughs> um, so I went looking at 3.5 to find out if that tracks. Uh, they didn't have um, sub races, right? So they just had plus two to charisma and a plus two to wisdom. Also dark vision, bonus to perception checks, which 
Makes sense. But back then it was called Spot and Listen. They can cast Daylight once a day, and they get some resistances to acid, cold, and electricity damage. I also got a fuck ton of languages. So they were a little bit more angelic back then, and more paragons of good, as opposed to what we have in 5th edition, which is like, you're a chosen one, you're not quite a demigod, you're like a, a pseudo-quasi-demigod. Eventually, maybe, if you follow the directions of what's-his-face is going to talk to you every night in your dreams. Right? It's a little bit more convoluted and a little bit more mortal. Which is why we don't have that level adjustment in 5th edition. Which, I don't know, I kind of liked. So, let's grab dice again. Before we before we cut to a little break. And roll! I got a 19. I'm just talking to myself. Oh, really eight. So, the first question is, how do you feel about the identity of hiding one's identity from the rest of the party? Man, I hate this. And I have done this in like every one of the campaigns. Every I've had two ASMRs. My last campaign had two ASMRs. We had Terry was one and he was dicking around and he was just this superhuman cleric who, by the way, is an ASMR. And I think he held it quiet for like two sessions. I, like half of a session, let's oh, be yeah, real. Well, I think he busted out his wings in like the first battle we had. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then there was, um, there was Charlie who played a rogue mastermind scourge ASMR. Um, no, sorry, he was a fallen ASMR, if I yeah. remember correctly. Mm -hmm. So, and he kept that shit on lock for like six right. sessions. Close to the end. Yeah. yeah. And he just did everything in his power to not use his angelic, like his fallen ASMR shit, right? Uh, clearly, we have sub races for this as well. That, that plus two to uh, charisma is not all you get. Mm -hmm. But depending on the sub race, you get a different one, right? So, mm -hmm. um, everybody knew there was something up with Charlie because he kept having, he was a mastermind. He had 900 different, like, identities and there were all of these npcs that he just knew but hold on i gotta go get my disguise kit so that this guy will recognize me in a different way different names yeah. different disguises whole nine yards yeah That's different yeah. impressive actually different yeah. safe houses in the city oh yeah. yeah yeah he and i put in a lot of work behind the scenes but i knew about it from the beginning mm -hmm. i never want to do that again it was neat but it was a fuck of a lot of work the payoff was cool i've seen it now i don't need a i'm just a human nobody look at me yeah I, I, I'm, I'm done. I'm done with it. Yeah. Megan, how do you feel about it? Um, as someone who was in the party with people who tried to hide it twice, is it as cool? Yeah, it is for being a player. It's fun. Because for me as a player, I like watching other people have their moments. That's like my favorite thing in the world. That if your character has like a shining moment, I love that for you. I'm here for you. I will be a character that will support you in anything that you need to do to have that moment for yourself. Unless you're Dan. Unless you're Dan. Yeah. Um, or Terry. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody else, you're welcome. Yeah. So, like, watching that and watching them have that moment was very rewarding. Because it was rewarding for them. Yeah. I feel like it sucks when the moment is not rewarding for them. Because then it's awkward for everybody at the table. So, to your point, it is a lot of work for a DM to make that moment and reveal worth it. For not only the person who's having to, like, enjoying it themselves, but everybody else at the table. Like, it's such a weird balance that you have to do so it's not easy to do me as a dm i would i would do it for a character if they really really wanted to but again from my point earlier it would have to be with someone who's a veteran who knows yeah. how to play the game have those secret conversations like that kind of stuff otherwise it's gonna flop and then everyone's gonna be sad mm -hmm. i i don't think you should really keep it from a secret from the people at the table yeah sure you can play it in game but i think everybody should just know the, so the player should know but the character should yeah yeah. That's fine. That can be a lot of fun, too. You don't see many people do that. Oh, I'm just acting like my character would. I'm like, okay, shut the fuck up. Remove <laughs> yourself for a second. Yeah. <laughs> right. But, like, 
I, I think that's a really neat way of doing it too. It, that that raises the tension as well when you've got. Look, I've been at the table when the rogue has stolen the gold from the paladin while they slept, mm-hmm. and everyone else at the table, the players know, but the, but the paladin character doesn't. Yeah. And all the players at the table are like, "Well, fuck, now what? Mm-hmm. What's uh, <laughs> what, what's going to happen next time he reaches into his pocket?" Mm. Right. I don't know. I like I like keeping small secrets at the table that, like, again, to your point, everybody knows as players, mm-hmm. but as characters don't. Because even just recently, I played a character who was a princess, which I did not <laughs> I did not plan to keep a secret from anybody. But then Dan made a big deal about it, so I'm like, fuck it, I'm not telling you. <laughs> well, we, well, Megan was one of two princesses that joined the party in session one. <laughs> so, and the other one was like, I am a princess. Oh and, <laughs> and Dan's like, oh my god. And then when it was revealed that Megan was, Dan was out of the room. Yeah. He had to run upstairs and deal with the kids. So he came back in and missed the moment. I went like three more sessions without knowing. And everyone's like, oh, so Megan, you're a princess. He's like, it was a good moment for me. (laughs) But yeah, I I enjoy the fact that everybody at the table kind of knew it made it funnier. Like it made it more of a funny moment and more entertaining than anything. It's a lot less stressful trying to keep that secret. I, I played a changeling and I tried to keep that a secret. Didn't even make it a single session. Like, I fucked that up so fast. <laughs> you like, it ta-da. Yeah. <laughs> couldn't help it. Uh, oh, I couldn't keep track of, like, what my face looked like and, like, when I did it. And I was like, ah, oh, fuck it. You know what? Well, and that's the other thing, too, is if you're keeping it a secret, you are, like, kneecapping yourself. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? You have all of these powers that you can't use. Mm-hmm. So it's like playing without a race for a little while there, which is annoying. Do you guys have any tips for players who have a character on a holy mission? Megan? I get to go first. I'm, yeah, I'm holding my action on this one. <laughs> I feel like I've gone last every single time, so this feels very nice. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, if, when it comes to having, like, holy missions and, like, this is your goal, I feel like as a player, you definitely want to have it in your mind, but try and make it so all the other players have a reason to either help you or be a part of it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, because your what your holy mission might not actually be, like, the ultimate goal of the party, so when we're talking about keeping secrets, I feel like it shouldn't necessarily be a secret. It should, I feel like if you're going to have like a goal and like something that's like a stretch goal, talk about it. It's what your character's built to do. There's no reason why you're not talking about it. Yeah. Or like being open and honest when you go to a town, be like, oh, I have to go to the local XYZ because I need to do my derp, derp, derp. Yeah. Like it just becomes a part of the party as opposed to just you on your own solo mission. That would be my my tip. And a DMs should be aware of that too. They should be crafting it so that, I mean, it can be a subplot, but tie it into the main story. Do not, I see this with rogues all the time. I'm going to go into the market during the downtime and just steal a bunch while everybody else is in the, is in the tavern. Great. So then when there's that bar fight that broke out, you're down one person because you split the fucking party. Or the rogue gets caught and everybody else has to go rescue them from jail. Stop splitting the party in downtime. Right? And you're going to see that with some ASMRs on holy missions as well. Yep. Yeah. Kyle, do you have any? Um, I would just say... I would just say try not to steamroll the rest of the party trying to accomplish it. You know? Like, Mm. try to get them behind you. Right? Like... Lawful good does not mean stupid. Yeah. I mean, like, an ASMR is like a holy crusader. Right? They should be inspiring people to do what's right and do what's good. So I wrote maybe even keep it a secret for a while until your PC has learned to trust the party. Yeah, but I mean, keeping it a secret means that you're not bowling over everybody else. Yeah. Right? So the moment you reveal it, don't just be like, and so now we have derailed the campaign. Yeah. And we have to go do this now. It's a balance. Yeah. Right? Maybe not mention it's a holy crusade or a holy thing or holy quest. It's just something that's important to you. Yeah. Tease it out. Yeah, honestly, I think just use your common sense and remember that 
fun in D&D is fun for everyone, not just for you. Um, my big note actually is for DMs, and that is if you have a holy mission or you're doing visions or you know that this is going on in the background, especially if your ASMR is keeping it a secret or keeping their their um, identity from at least the NPCs, I'm going to prep my nightly visions ahead of time on a piece of paper and hand it across the table. Mm. And then, or I'm going to narrate to everybody, this is what you dreamt about. I'm going to roll up a random table and I'm just going to roll what you, everybody dreams about, except I'm going to roll for the ASMR, but I specifically have something that's not on the random table for them. Mm-hmm. So I will fake the roll and then give them their proper vision just to hide that in and among the rest of the narrative. If you are going to have a character that builds a an entire experience around visions and angelic guides and you don't play with that as a DM, they're wasting their time and you're wasting their time. Yeah. So, I mean, look, communication. That's the key here. Yeah. I feel like there's nothing more that I love as a player than getting slid across the table a upside down piece of paper that is special for me. It makes me feel good about myself. Yeah. But there's nothing I hate more than watching another player get one and I don't get to read it. <laughs> I'm going to remember that. I'm going to remember that. He's going to start sliding other people pieces of paper. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm just going to slide you a piece of paper that says you're special. Uh. What's up? <laughs> Psych. Yeah. This is nothing. This is a nothing piece of paper. <laughs> Tell Dan this is interesting and he can't read this. (laughs) Can we just do this now as a thing? Yeah. Okay, so now comes the time in every single episode where we break to what we like to call a commercial, um, but it's really just us pimping our own shit, and it makes Dan very uncomfortable to have to eat shit like this uh, when we ask you guys to do stuff for us. But we love you, and we love doing this podcast, but it is not freaking cheap, and I'm going to break the fourth wall, and I'm going to pull it back, and I'm going to say, guys, we could use the help. We are a struggling little podcast doing our own thing, and it comes entirely out of uh, our podcast. And we got to buy books to review them and to have be up to date on the regular stuff. We have to subscribe to D&D Beyond and of course is the web hosting and, and paying Podbean and, and everything else. So we're asking, please, if you can find it in your hearts to kick a little bit in our direction. We are doing everything in our power to release as many different shows and episodes as we can. But it takes a lot of time, a lot of energy, a lot of love and a lot of money. And to be completely honest, we have the setup here that we've had for about a year and a half now. And and if we could all get better mics, that this would be, would be a better show. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, scripts and jokes out the window, guys. This is a bit of a passion project. And we don't have a Kickstarter. We don't have a Patreon. We do have a donate button on the website. And we do have a store with, you know, we're selling a lot of stickers these days. Which we are, is, yeah. Which is interesting. But they're only about 50 apiece, so... It only goes so far, <laughs> and we only get a cut of that. So, As a balding man, buy more hats. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, please and thank you for whatever you can kick our way. If you don't, just know that your clicks and your listens feed our, our love and our passion as well. So thank you for everything that you do, even just by showing up and listening. Uh, if you have any more that you can throw our way, we would be more than more than grateful. So... Before Volos came out, there was also ASMRs that existed in the Dungeon Master's Guide. But it is not the ASMR that we're used to seeing now. So I'm just going to touch on this because there may be some Dungeon Masters out there who only have access to the DMG 
and who will hand this out to players to say, hey, you can build this kind of character. But they're going to be operating with slightly different mechanics. So let's go through it. The DMG has this really cool section about um, how to build races and, and sub-races. They've got it for classes and subclasses and backgrounds and magic items and all that kind of shit. But they have this specifically for how to build a race. And they use an ASMR as an example. This was literally the third book published in this edition. So the version that's in Volos has overwritten this. Hmm. But you still get to see kind of holdovers. They didn't have a sub-race. So it was just a straight ASMR the way that Tiefling is just a straight Tiefling. And they were very much considered to be the other side of the coin of the Tiefling. They say as much in the DMG. And they go out of their way to craft the ASMR based on how the Tiefling interacts. So they are called glorious humans with lustrous hair, flawless skin, and piercing eyes. So it's still the same kind of description that we're getting. Um, but they said that these guys in the old lore, and your DM may be, may be operating off of this, they rise to the apex of societies, usually becoming leaders and heroes, <laughs> which is the exact opposite of the rest of the shit. So that's been overwritten. I would be completely fine with it being either way. Look, the idea in 5th edition is that your characters have free will. There are tendencies. There may even be racial preferences towards certain mentalities or whatnot based on their upbringing and whatnot. But you're you. You can be a leader if you want to be. It's recommended that they are built to be at odds with tieflings and that they would be clerics or paladins, which means they get a plus two to charisma and a plus one to wisdom. Because, again, they want paladins first, clerics second. Uh, they get dark vision because, fuck, of course they do. Um, tieflings also had dark vision, and that's what they're really mirroring this against. Um, they get resistance to radiance damage. And it says here that this reflects the celestial origin. The same way that devils are, have resistance to fire, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but because radiant isn't as common a damage type as fire, when tieflings have fire, they, they're going to add necrotic as well because it's the antithesis of of what they're about yeah and then they they also get lesser restoration at third level and daylight cast at third level at fifth level and they can recharge those on a long rest so it's not just the light cantrip because tieflings get hellish rebuke and other shit and as they level up they get more spells as well just inherently i create the sun (laughs) pretty much (laughs) so do you guys like that or do you like the subclasses better i like the subclasses better yeah subclasses give more variety yeah. And to your point, more free will of what you want to do with your character. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm with you. This is, I'm not going to, I'm not going to point my finger at our DM and say, hey, you suck for doing it this way. Mm. It's in the printed material, but uh, there's better shit out there. It's a good way to have control. If yes. you wanted them to be very specific ASMR, like it's a good way to say this, if you want to do this, this is what you have to build. Like mm. it, it does, it's a good safety net to have that. I also think it's good for your generic NPC. Yeah. Right. Joe. Yeah. Angel Joe. Well, no. No, not it, not not Joseph. Angel Joseph's over there. That's true. His son Josiah, though. The there you go. <laughs> uh, let's grab dice. Yep. And let's roll to cover the subclasses. I have gone first every Seven. freaking time. Yeah. I've gone last every single time. So uh, that gift you gave me that one time. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I'm gonna start with a scourge, which I think is actually probably the most popular of the Ace Mars from what I could see online. Um, the protector is really on the nose, and the fallen is super edgy. Mm. The scourge kind of sits in the middle. 
Um, these guys, they feel the call of vengeance and a powerful calling to destroy evil. That is their thing. They are driven more than the others. They're the scourge because they will purge the earth of evil. That is their whole thing. Mm. They have this desire burning in them to vanquish darkness. And it can range anywhere from a passion to an obsession. It's really hard to play an obsessive character at a table. I don't recommend it because you just end up becoming a weird mirror of Golem. Mm. And it's... That doesn't often, yeah. yeah, it doesn't often go well, and you will probably piss off the rest of your party. Mm. These guys are the ones that like to um, uh, hide themselves as well, but they actually wear masks like blindfolds over their eyes to block out the world, and they maintain focus um, on their foes and their their mission by not being distracted because they blindfolded themselves. Some kind of monk shit right there. Yep, but they will Four whip horses. They will whip that blindfold <laughs> off when battle yeah. happens. So roll initiative, I pull the blindfold off. <gasps> what a great dramatic anime moment. Just like, right? what? <laughs> <laughs> I, I think that's really cool and flavorful, but I would honestly do that like horses. Mm. I really would so that you will stay focused on the thing directly in front of you. You're not distracted by your peripheral vision and shit like that. Maybe, maybe it's uh, like the fucking... Remember those little Kanye glasses everybody had with the I was slit? about to say those weird <laughs> stupid slit glasses yeah. or just full on like horse blinders just on the side. Yeah. <laughs> so when you have to talk to you have to look directly at you. <laughs> or or what about like like blackout goggles? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Right. Okay, now we're getting to like some uh Chronicles of Riddick shit right there too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. kind of like that. And you like you flip the lever and the lenses flip and now you can now you can see. Not as a dramatic anime moment, yeah. though. We're just like, yeah. That's, <laughs> really, that's really dorky. I just imagine those, like, you know, the glasses that flip up with the sun. Oh, no, the glasses. dad clip-on yeah. ones. <laughs> that's when they're 160. <laughs> Listen, pal, I'm about to take out the trash. <laughs> oh, my God. Someone's about to put the pal in Paladin. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, all right, so they get a plus one to the constitution. Mm. So it's this is your um, charisma constitution build, which again I feel like sorcerers really lean heavily. Uh, paladins too, but sorcerers yeah. can mm. lean into this. Um, and then they get something called radiant consumption. This is a, um, something you get at third level. You can use it once per long rest, and it takes an action to do this. Uh, you release the divine energy inside, and you start to glow. Specifically, this allows you to radiate out of your eyes and mouth and is intense enough um, to nearly burn you with the energy that comes pouring out of you. So the idea of you wearing a mask or goggles or whatever and suddenly you whip it off and are like glowing from the eyes is a really neat... Talk about an anime moment? Yeah, yeah I'm just, it's more like an X-Men moment though. Kind of, Or like yeah. a Fifth Element moment. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I'm so, having a lot of movie references today, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, so the idea here is that you uh, are illuminated with bright light and you shed it in a 10-foot radius with 10 feet of dim light beyond it. At the end of each of your turns... You and every other creature within 10 feet of you take radiant damage, no save. Dope. And you take it equal to your level rounded up. Additionally, once per turn, you can add additional radiant damage equal to your level to any attack or spell. Yeah. So you are, you just glow and you are fighting with radiance everywhere. Mm -hmm. uh, this lasts for one minute or until you end it with a bonus action. Mm -hmm. So 
you become a lighthouse, essentially in the in the dark. A beacon of some kind. <laughs> I was thinking more just like fire, but but it's specifically not fire. It is radiant damage. Yeah. Right? So it's a Dragon Ball Z reference mm. for sure. Cease. Oh yeah, Super Saiyan. Yeah. Okay, I see that. Yeah, I I think this is neat. I I like it. It's yeah. It's it's fun. It's really flavorful with the blindfold thing, but that's it. But all these specific, like if you were trying to keep your character a secret and all of a sudden you have a human rock up with a blindfold on, you're like, no. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, look, how many players around the table know that? That's true. Right. Like, yeah. did you guys know about this before this episode? I did not know. Not really, no. Right. So, I mean, unless you are, look, I feel like one out of every 20 D&D players loves ASMR and I don't know why. They've played one a couple of times in their in their life and they're eager for the next one. So they may know this, but I think most tables will probably be able to just like, oh, that's weird. He's a blind guy for the first little while. Mm. Um, cool. But keep in mind, you pull it off for every battle. You pull the blindfold off, but you don't have this. You only do it once per long rest, right? So you can pull the blindfold off, fight for a while, put the blindfold back on, wander around, but you don't do the like glowy eye shit until shit hits the fan. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So who, who's who's next? Uh, that would be this guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the fallen Asmar is an Asmar who is either touched by a dark power, corrupting their divinity, or and turning them into something tainted, or has turned away from their divine purpose and lost the favor of the god that spawned them. They can be redeemed, though, and turn back to either Protector or Scourge Asmar if they find themselves on the path to righteousness and prove themselves to be rid of the taint of their souls. Can you say taint again? Taint. taint. Yeah, Would you go. like me to say it slower? Yes. Taint. <laughs> that felt weird in my mouth. That, just be the, the, <laughs> that felt weird in my mouth, too. Yeah. <laughs> Guys, stop it. We've already talked about taints and raisins today. We don't need to go <laughs> Um, that's an interesting point, though. The fact that they can seek retribution should they feel like it. It's like one mistake does not a bad ASMR make. Yeah. yeah. I kind of like it. And it, I think it adds a little more flavor to role-playing yeah. in terms of it. I would super clear that as a DM before you're going to make a character fall. Yeah. Like, session zero. Hey, you're going to play an ASMR? Oh, cool. You're a protector ASMR? That, that's neat. How do you feel about falling? Yeah. I'd be like, yes. <laughs> you would be, but some Session people... one. <laughs> some people would be pissed. Well, I like it because it's not even just, you know, that they've been corrupted by an evil power, right? Like, it's not just that. Like, they became a warlock and now they're beholden to the great old one. It's like, they're not, like, I'm sick and tired of you telling me what to do. I don't want this divine fucking purpose and leave me alone. Yeah. And then they go the other way. It can also be Joe going to the big man and being like, hey, like, I've been working with this guy and I don't like him anymore. Can we yeah. just take him off the roster? Like, I'm done with it. <laughs> I, I also like, I like the idea of, I am tired of this vow of celibacy. <laughs> <laughs> For one year, <laughs> I'm going to do the Amish thing and Rob go out there. <laughs> <laughs> Then I got to try to get my shit back together. <laughs> uh, I will I will revow up after this. Yeah. But, but for now, I'm going to get my fucking... Necessary, yeah. Okay, so the Fallen ASMR <laughs> get a plus one to strength, along with a plus two from their... Uh, blah, 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 blah. Uh, so the Fallen ASMR, uh, also get a plus one to strength along with the plus two to charisma, uh, like all of the other ASMRs get, uh, and they gain the Necrotic Shroud ability at the third level. When activated, the Fallen ASMR's eyes turn black and it sprouts decrepit, bony, flightless wings. Um, Sounds familiar. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that was one Charlie had. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, on the tra- transformation, all creatures. Uh, you got to be careful with this one because uh, when you cast it, you got to slow down. You're going so fast. Just I thought I was going to slower this time too. I heard you were doing real good, and then yeah. Okay. Um, just that point again. When activated, the fallen Ace Mars eyes turn black, and it sprouts bony, decrepit, flightless wings. Uh, on transformation, all creatures um, you can see within 10 feet of you must make a charisma saving throw. The DC being 8 plus your proficiency bonus and your charisma modifier. Oh, oops. Creaking. Move too much. Um, all creatures you can see within 10 feet of you must make a charisma saving throw. The DC being 8 plus your proficiency bonus and your charisma modifier. On a failed throw, creatures are frightened until the end of your next turn. On top of that, for the next minute, unless ended by a bonus action, you can deal additional necrotic damage to one creature once per turn, whenever you deal damage to that creature. The damage is equal to your level, uh, and you can use this ability once per long rest. Not great all in all, but it's, it's, it's kind of flavor. Yeah. yeah, I like it. It's really flavorful with the freaking Yeah, the eyes turning wings. black yeah. and the bone wings. Because it works on your allies too, right? Like yeah. It's everybody within range. And, but it's interesting, it's everyone you can see. Mm-hmm. That's not the case with the Scourge ASMR. So if it's an invisible creature, the Scourge ASMR hits them, but the Fallen ASMR may not. Mm. Yeah. Interesting, I didn't think about that actually. So what I like about uh, this ASMR is that there's a lot of backstory options for it. Uh, do you want to play a redemption arc uh, where you disillusioned and turn away from your calling? Or were you seduced by an opposite power seeking revenge on the deity that spawned you? Uh, were you treated as a freak in a sideshow by those who knew your pedigree when you were growing up? Or maybe you just got sick and tired of doing what other people told you and wanted to strike out on your own, of course. Not uh, today, Mom! <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Turn off the Netflix! Get on my back, Dad! <laughs> <laughs> Turn into an angel. You're not my real dad! <laughs> oh my god. In terms of roleplay, this strikes me very much like a broody emo with an anti-authoritarian streak. Uh, perfect for that edgy character you've been wanting to play for a long time. I feel like this one is when your Ace Mar Paladin starts picking up levels of Rogue. Yeah. <laughs> I Warlock. I, I, oh, want to make, totally. I want to play a Hexblade Warlock Fallen Ace Mar. Oh, yeah? Yeah. That's a lot. Yeah. It's <laughs> <laughs> a mouthful. That's a lot of darkness. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but don't hate it. No. <laughs> I like that, too, because... What, uh, oh, man. What if you played a Death Pact Angel? Who is masquerading as an as one of those, like a deva? Okay. And then you reveal to the to the ASMR that oh no hey by the way your all your powers come from evil you are fallen <laughs> and and this these powers and whatnot is a reflection of your own attitude and your own place in the world you got to go through your own redemption to get your protector or scourging like ASMR back that's interesting why do you change is it your blessing gets changed. Or is it your soul gets corrupted and therefore the divine energy inside you is twisted and, and, and moves differently? Like, are we flipping the lens in like a kaleidoscope? Yeah, it's an angst yeah. thing. It's just like, oh, I was, uh, I, was, pure I, was, I was once blessed and now I'm not. I'm sad about this. I'm going to grow out my hair and join a punk band. Uh, you just turned 13 and here you go. <laughs> yeah. 
Reminds me of the poetry I wrote when I was 13. Okay. Like, you know that the... the my fallen... magic is black like my soul. Like yeah. my soul. <laughs> the fallen ace of our paints his nails black, too. Right? Yeah. 100%. Yeah. yeah. Uh, every, what are you doing in your downtime? Oh, I'm learning new spells. Well, I'm going to heal up this guy. I'm going to talk to my animal companion. i got to pull up my nail polish. I'm going to paint my nails. Write yeah. my poetry book. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I'm going to pull up my sketchbook. i got to do some sketches. It's just like giant pieces of chalk, just like yeah. massive circles. <laughs> <laughs> your, your freaking... Your freaking um, angelic guide is just evanescence. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> oh, I would have that loaded up on my phone too. So when you blow yeah. the necrotic sh- shroud, boom! There's some. It's freaking... got to be wake me up. It's yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! This has made every moment Charlie ever had so much better in my head. <laughs> For those of you that are older than 40, you can use the Clash instead. That'll be fun. Yeah, that's about right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> My turn? Do I get to go now? Yeah, yeah all you. Fantastic. So I'm going to do talk about the Protector. And I guess the easiest way to describe this is that they're just empowered to, by the likeness of goodness, to protect those that are weaker. It's very simple, kind of like your Yojimbo courtier or like your knight in shining armor or what have you. You're just, you are compelled to protect those that are weaker than you. Or, and like, I, I also read it as like, it doesn't necessarily have to be a person or a being, just protect something. That it is could be like an ideal that you are protecting. Exactly, right? right? Like just goodness towards animals. <laughs> it's true. But I, I was just thinking it's kind of like your insert Kingdom Heartness fight the darkness reference here. So yeah, okay, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so their stat boost is they do get uh, Wisdom score plus one, which it's weird in my mind because there's not a lot of protection classes. Well, shall we say that like are wisdom based? Well, no, that they're Druid. they all are yeah. wisdom clerics are wisdom based. Mm. That's true. But I was thinking, I was thinking more like because if I'm thinking protection, I'm thinking your paladins. I'm thinking your like charisma already charisma based characters. See and that, but that's a you thing. That's a Megan. me thing. Okay, that, that's I'll a take you that. thing. Where in order to protect someone, I have to carry a, a shield and literally protect yes, them with one hundred percent. But instead of protecting their soul or like by giving. By giving wisdom to someone else, right? By okay, like, this is just Miyagi wiser. now is what we're saying. Well, it, it could be, right? Like, <laughs> it's true. Like, there's a lot of ASMRs that are just out there to help inspire others, right? Like, he's not going to be the bard, but he's going to be like the bard's agent. Yeah. <laughs> right? Like, super charismatic. Hey, we're going to get a deal down. It's going to be good. My wisdom's through the roof, so my insight's going to be awesome on this too. Yeah. So what, I'll strike a deal, but I don't want to be up on stage. So. I, oh, I just do love the idea of like... The stupid, like, this is very much in my mind the relationship that my character and Dan's character always has, where I'm protecting an idiot. (laughs) 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 Um, that's just what I imagine. Like, to your point earlier, where it's just like, I'm sending you down to protect this guy. This guy, (laughs) I have to keep this guy alive. Are you kidding me? Are you okay? You're not joking. This is my life now. (laughs) To be fair, Dan doesn't play idiots, his guys are really smart, they're just fools. Yes, they just stumble ass backwards into the worst scenario possible yeah. every fucking time. You're a very smart man, Dan. We, Book smart, not street smart. Oh, very saying. much so. Like, for example, when the entire party was fighting literal demons that were like super powered, that were getting, there was a Merilith that was fighting the level 11 party. The Merilith CR 17. Dan is literally upside down studying shit written, literal shit 
written inside of an outhouse. That was one thing that happened. Just one. There, there were many times that Meg was like, oh, fuck, where's Dan? What is he doing now? Just, I gotta go talk to the, He got so many NPCs killed. Yeah. It's classic Dan. <laughs> All right, well, back to the protector. So at level three, you get your radiant soul. So basically... As an action, you reach your Super Saiyan level one with glimmering eyes, and of course, you kind of sprout your your big wings. This is your wing spreading angel with angel character. Oh, so this is. Can you imagine being a Scourge ASMR and everybody else has wings? You're just like, what the what fuck? What the fuck? You got this black this black angel over here, this fucking white radiant angel over yeah. here, and you're just like, what? I could shoot lasers out of my eyes. Guys. I can do what I promise, but it hurts me too. Yeah, it hurts me too. <laughs> That should be a part of the scares. Yeah. Scares itself. Just scares itself. <laughs> <laughs> but only, uh, only as far as the poetry is concerned. Sometimes I even frighten myself. So, yeah. <laughs> oh my god. All right. Anyway, so this lasts for one minute, or if you choose to end it with bonus action like the other ones, and uh, can only be used again after a long rest. You also gain a flying speed of thirty. That's it. Uh, and then you can deal extra radiant damage equal to your level. Oh, okay. Well. Okay. So it's similar to... Um, Instead of the aura, you. you get a fly speed. Yeah. And bomb-ass wings. Yeah. This is... Uh, you know what? This is when the cult captures you. To be like, pop the wings. We yeah. will torture you until your wings pop out. Then we're going to steal the feathers off of them. Yeah. Well, this is what I mean. Like, this is what I was going to go with. They would just steal wings. But, like, not all ASMRs have them. So they would capture you thinking you're an ASMR and torture you until your wings pop. But they aren't... not. If you're a scourge, it's not going to happen. Yeah. So. Yeah. Like, you're just screwed. You're just screwed, <laughs> which is very dark and sinister, and I enjoy that a lot. I Can you change from a protector to a scourge? I know you, they can both go into into fallen. It doesn't say anywhere that you can't. can't. But I'm just thinking, what happens if someone rips your wings off? <gasps> no. And you're not quite fallen, because you're still like... I still yeah. want to do good, but now I'm pissed. Yeah. <gasps> what a great way to make that tri- triangular transition. Like, that's cool. That's fun. I like this idea. I'm going to write that one down. Of course. Can you imagine looking at the player's face and the DM just has the freaking Goristrel rip the wings off the back of... Well... We watched one player get their wings ripped uh, off We we had a dragonborn that was imbued with the essence of dragons, so actually grew a tail and wings and whatnot. And then literally Demogorgon reached down, picked her up, and tore the wings off of her back. It was my character's fault. (laughs) Yeah. and, And you had the opportunity to try to stop that. But decided not to, literally in the name of the greater good, and it was the right decision, but also your best friend got literally tortured and delimbed in front of you. My best friend. That is an emotional roller coaster. It was a great campaign. It it was dark. It was so dark. Um, But yeah, as I said, like a good role playing for this one would be that like you pick a character that you're protecting. It could be someone on your team that would make it easy for an easy role play excitement thing. Um, I feel like this one can go with any of the angels to be... As a messenger, you could go battle because you're sent to protect those that are weaker going into battle. You could do Deva where you're just sent to protect plants, whatever your thing is. Like, it can really go in any direction. Whereas, yeah, the Scourge is clearly a planetar or one of the Ravnica angels, right? Mm -hmm. It's all battle, battle, battle. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And yours is just sad. Just (laughs) just, sad. There's just a lot of mascara going. Running mascara, too. (gasps) Yes. But, like, purposeful. You you put it on like the crow? Like, it looks like The Crow. You ever seen that movie? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Have you ever seen The Crow? Did you just ask me if I'd ever seen The Crow? Yeah. I was the right age. You looked at me like I was an idiot. 
So I was like, wasn't sure. I, I, I'm used to looking at Dan across the table. Yeah, okay. I'm sorry. It was just a knee-jerk reaction. I feel like you're working with the two like movie buffs here. So All we right. got you. <laughs> As a bonus tip for DMs and or players playing with ASMRs, do not play too hard into the holier-than-thou bullshit. I feel Whoa. it's very easy to fall into that trap that you know the best are the best. And you're to, to our point earlier of talking about like your conquest is all that you care about. It's almost like it's hard baked into oh, it, yeah. which is annoying. Also, interesting. These guys are really beautiful and they have high charisma. Not every high charisma race does. Yeah. Which means, once again, charisma is not physical appearance. Yeah. Which means you're probably prettier than the bard. Don't be an ass about it. Yeah, don't be a dick. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. Terry. <laughs> this one's really curious to know what it's like to play with Terry now. <laughs> well, it's you're, a treat. You're in the Call of Cthulhu campaign. You're going to learn real quick. Yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> he has very specific characterizations that, that he latches onto. Great role player. Yeah. I'm telling you, like, so invested in his role playing. But every once in a while, he plays a dick character, and you're not ready for it. You're just because it will be funny when it's pointed at everybody else, but then when it's pointed at you, it is infuriating. Yeah. And yeah. to DM it, I just keep poking him to do that to other people. So. Yeah, I think his ASMR character was the first day where Terry and I yelled at each other at the table. Oh fuck, that was good too. That was life or death stakes that you guys met under and yeah. just went off. It's a good time, but yeah, don't play dick. Okay. <laughs> you can find us on instagram facebook and r slash it's a mimic on reddit you can also feel free to send us any questions or comments or concerns to info at it's a mimic.com and we'd love to have any questions you got uh so we can air them on our mailbag episodes yeah and we're going to start rotating through the hosts on the mailbags as well it's traditionally been me dan and terry for i think almost all of them except for the one that you, Dave, and Brad took over the studio. What a great time. Yeah. Um, but so we're going to start rotating through as well. So even Kyle, you're going to get some of these. Good fucking luck. <laughs> so if you guys have questions for Kyle or James who are completely unprepared for this shit, or you just want to give Coffee Bitch Dave a hard time, please send in some some questions. And stop, stop just gearing them towards Dan's furniture. We get a lot of questions about Dan's bondage furniture. <laughs> It's uncomfortable for everybody else involved. <laughs> You'd think so, but Terry's getting weirdly comfortable with it. Mm. Well, I mean. <laughs> he seems to be the biggest cheerleader for it of all. He wants to be in to sell it. Yeah. Custom. <laughs> all right, so I have a couple more questions before we wrap this episode up, okay? Um, and the first one is, what does it look like when you guys build a character with an ASMR? What's your knee-jerk reaction here? Let's grab our dice and roll again. Oh, I got a three. I'm in the middle this time. Uh, 17. Uh, I don't because they offend my moral sensibilities. Just hard stuff? You don't, yeah, hard stuff. I hate, I like, I hate the idea of a child being born and then from the, for one purpose, right? They're like, this is the only reason we're giving you life. So you have to do this. And then they start at a very young age. You would absolutely be a fallen ASMR. If you yeah, were born absolutely. like you'd be like, fuck that noise. 100%. And like, giving a kid... Um, like, I don't know. Divine visions? Divine visions, right? Like, do they even know what those are? Do they know that it's divine vision? And what if, like, their ancestor got fucked by a god, like, way back, so nobody even remembers this? 
So you don't even know that this happened because it's so far back and now you're stuck with these visions. Like that sounds a lot like schizophrenia. So I would be worried that I was going crazy from a young oh, age. Oh, that is a cool origin like story though. Getting yeah. pulled out of a, a sanitarium. Yeah, right? Because people don't know why you're having these visions and you're they look so real to you and you're so convinced. But everybody's like... You're freaking crazy. So I would totally play the shit out of that character. Yeah. No, it's okay. So hold on. I would go with Hermit background, um, Oath of Conquest Paladin, and a, probably a Scourge or a, or a Fallen Azumar, where you have escaped from the sanitarium, you present as human, and you refuse to use any of your Azumar shit until you hit, let's say, level four or five. When you go up against the the lieutenant of the big bad evil guy, yeah. and everyone's just like looking at you out of the corner of your eye because you showed up broke, be like, "I'm gonna save the world." <laughs> and everyone's like, oh, "Okay, like, I can't go back to that town. They're yeah. looking for me, just but like, I'm gonna save everybody." And you just played it like like crazy over the top yeah. until all of a sudden one day you fucking do. Huh. I told you, I've been having dreams. <laughs> I've been having dreams for twenty years. With a big scraggly beard with like yeah. a twitchy eye. Oh, totally. I, I'm going to do it. Just trust me. Yeah. It would, it would really make a good like um, NPC too. Like the, the guidance character for your NPC, like your characters. Yeah. Because yeah. they would just be this crazy person spouting out these like random prophecies. Like the but quest they were, giver. Yeah, like the quest giver. But they were sent to protect you because they are of this god yeah. or what have you. But they don't know that. They just know that they're supposed to give you these messages. But they don't know. It's just this weird, crazy uncle over in the yeah. corner. Yeah. <laughs> Like you don't even know that they've been like touched by a fucked angel. Like, yeah. you're just like... <laughs> I think that's that's awesome. I would play the shit out of that character though, mm. right? I, that would be a lot of fun. But yeah, I mean, it is so stereotypical, isn't it? Like, mm. I get a lot of new players like ASMRs, but I feel like once you've seen it, once you've played it, and which is too bad because I feel like the new players that play them are really much, like, they're there to be an angel. I want to be an angel character, right? And that's what they're in for. But you're really going to get the best money for for your, or the best value for your money if you're an experienced role player that knows how to dig into this and understands the idea of keeping a secret, letting other people take the spotlight, only using your ability once a day, and maybe not even on some days, you're holding it for the right moments. When do you recognize when those are? As an experienced player, you would know that, mm. right? So I feel like new players want it, and old or experienced players don't. But that's really how it should be. Should flip that. Yeah. yeah. So I don't know, Megan. When you build a character, if you were to build an ASMR. Let me guess. It's a paladin. She's, okay. she's blonde. That's the <laughs> obvious answer. And I was gonna say because I am the exact opposite. I would build the shit out of an ASMR, and it would be a holier than thou like bitch ass woman. But anyways, every other I digress. Character. <laughs> but. Honestly, after reading The Protector and I was kind of like leaning into the fact that you don't necessarily have to be protecting a person, I thought of building a druid because that was the only like stat-wise block that I felt really kind of fit well. Um, not only because I would just have them there to protect plants and plant life, not humans. They yeah. said, fuck humans. Yeah. I'm here to protect the plant life. Get the fuck out of my... Get out of my forest, Becky! <laughs> um, so Oath of Ancients Paladin? <laughs> basically. But the reason why I picked druid was because I would love to see a flying horse. Or a flying pig. And there is a very, very long discussion online, like on the interwebs, about whether or not DMs allow Wild Shape to then pop into an ASMR with wings. Why the fuck not? Right? Uh, okay. So, like, you Wild Shape <laughs> yourself into, like, a fucking rat, and then you just pop some giant <laughs> wings. Oh, my God. Because they don't scale. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> like ten foot wingspan on a fucking mouse. Yeah. It would be so good. Like, oh my god, look at those wings just flying around by themselves. No, 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 look closer. <laughs> squeak, squeak, squeak. <laughs> But yeah, I just want to do that for the flavor fit. Like if I was to actually build one now, because I've already played a holier than thou paladin. You I don't say. Like I don't, yeah. I don't have to do it again. <laughs> now you're playing a holier than thou monk. I, yeah, I'm playing a holier than thou monk. But like I just, you know, I just feel like a nice little, little forest druid that just flies around as a giant Pegasus mouse is just delightful. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so my answer for this is actually based on a character that I used to play. I think I think coming up. A Scourge Ace is all about, ah, well, going into battle and whatnot. I've, uh, it doesn't take a whole lot for me to jump to that. That's literally every murder hobo that's existed. ASMR, like Scourge Ace are built for murder hobos. You can be anything. Just, it's hard to build a uh, unique character around that. Because every unique character is already a Scourge Ace to some degree, right? Mm-hmm. So I was thinking about the Protector. Um, and the idea that there's always a holy mission. I played a character, uh, his name was Bargus. He was a dwarven cleric. And he was sent on a mission from God to find the Savior because he grew up in an orphanage. And uh, the orphanage was was destined to burn down one day. And there was only one person in the world that could stop this from happening, from orcs uh, burning down this orphanage sometime in the distant future. He didn't know when. So he went out and got visions until... He ended up running across one of the other characters at the table, which was played by Jamie, who was a barbarian. This is all sounding very familiar, yeah. Yeah. Playing that character of the um, the protector role is difficult. But it's a really good challenge when you're the most experienced person at the table and you want to give someone else the spotlight for a little bit. Now, having not known Jamie around the D&D table when I built this, I didn't realize that he was very comfortable in the spotlight. I'm putting up mildly. Uh, but... <laughs> Yeah, but um, I wanted, I, I by far had like 12 years more experience than the next person at a D&D table. I said, I can't make this about me. I'm going to make it about somebody else. Um, so I got to sit there and heal him up, make sure that he was protected all the time. As a barbarian who was the meat shield, he never hit zero hit points. Because even if I was on death's door, I was healing him first. I feel like an ASMR can be can be built around that. Um, and having a an acolyte kind of background... Or even just a, a hermit or, or an outlander because you're on the road looking for whatever um, is drawing your your mission forward, mm. I guess, right? Whatever. I feel like ASMRs don't put down roots. When they're called uh, out to do something, they go out into the world and do it. Mm. There's not a whole lot of ASMRs just hanging out in a village. It can happen if their job is to protect the village. But I feel like they've got to get to the village from another continent first. So there's a... There's like a journey aspect to them. I could also retire an ASMR character pretty easily. Mm-hmm. I retired Vargas when I took over DMing. And it was very natural to just drop him down as an NPC to, here, you go protect that character now. And I will just have kind of a sidekick level character for, for the Barbarian. Yeah. That was really easy for me to do. Cleric makes a lot of sense for that. Monk makes a lot of sense for that. But I also thought that one of the support bards would as well. As long as you're not musical. If you don't have a musical bend, yeah. if you're not about the, the spotlight, if you're about the inspiration, I saw the word inspire a lot in all of my ASMR readings. So bards with the high charisma as well makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So I uh, I, I kind of like that. I, if I was going to do it again, I'd be an ASMR bard uh, who, probably a protector, who doesn't have offensive spells. Mm. Mm. I kind of like that because it's also do... 
does the Seismar by like changing the world, or is his holy mission to um, necessarily be the force of change, or maybe they're recording it, right? Yeah. Maybe they're just supposed to be there to take these moments to pass down through history. Oh, well, yeah. What if the, what if Angel Joe has tasked you to write the next Bible? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you are here. I mean, this is going to, you are not the Messiah. Your party is full of the Messiahs and you are writing about them. You're writing their story. Yeah. And yeah. so your job is not to get in the way and do it for them. It is to help them when they need it to get them to that point. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good way of tying a holy mission into the rest of the party without it railroading your whole campaign. Because it makes it about them. Yeah. yeah. Again, I would talk to the DM about this. And I, again, it would be really fun to play the crazy guy. You could still do that and be like, I'm here to save you guys. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> Sorry. What? <laughs> so, um, same initiative order. Do you guys, Kyle, do you like ASMR overall? Mm, Are they growing on you? I think you know my position on them. No. <laughs> <laughs> Not particularly. It Your is feelings. Yeah, it is not my. It wouldn't be my go-to. I like. I think they'd be kind of fun as an NPC, but as a player character, I don't ever see myself using one. But I think they do have some fun flavor to them. Okay, what race is your go-to for for D and D creator? Like, do you tend to go the the gnomes and halflings? Are you going dwarves and goliaths? Do you go elves and and drow and I don't think I have a typical race. What are you playing I, now? I think uh, right now I'm playing a changeling sorcerer. Which what I'm were you really playing before? Uh, before I was playing a dragonborn cleric. Really no connection there. Yeah, yeah, yeah you're all over the place. Yeah, I'm all okay. over the place. I just know there's certain ones I don't like. Like, I'm not fond of dwarves. I probably won't play dwarves. And that is a very unpopular opinion. Especially from yeah. Dan, I know that. Yeah, that's a hot take. Yeah. <laughs> and Eastmars, I just like, I don't know. How do you feel about tieflings? Yeah, they're all right. Really? You choose Tieflings over ASMR? Tieflings are, are edgier yeah. and more... Yeah, all right. Okay. Yeah, I like the evil kind of blend or the more neutral. We don't kink shame. Yeah. Okay, sure. <laughs> all right. Megan? Yes, I do enjoy them. I would not play one. But no? I like the idea of having one at the table if it was played right. Would you one shot with one of these guys? Absolutely. I would not dedicate my life to a kid that character is built as an ASMR. I would dedicate it to maybe three three sessions kind of mm. campaign i would not this would not be my go-to dive my heart and soul into it kind of character what about as an npc i would love them as npcs i think they make great like placeholders for like your again your um quest givers your weird big it could be a big bad evil guy for fuck's sakes like no. you can just do so many things with them because they are celestial and touched by things that are more higher than you are so i feel like there's a lot of opportunities for them but not as players i would I don't want to play them in a one-shot. If I'm going to play them, I'm going to play them in probably a four or five level campaign. Not sessions, levels. I really want to dig my teeth in, get the full experience, but I don't need to do a Dungeon of the Mad Mage. I don't need to go 15, 16 levels of freaking ASMR. Um, but I think it'd be interesting in like Descent into Avernus, where you are in hell and it is a fallen angel that is running the, the enemy forces. Yeah. Like, okay. there could be something interesting in there. It depends a lot on the storyline. Depends on the table and who I'm going to be Your with. Your players, yeah. I love them as NPCs. I had an ASMR who was an NPC who was a protector of the Great Tree a couple of campaigns ago. And everyone's like, oh my god, he's beautiful and, and he's um, wise and he's trustworthy. And everyone else, all the NPCs loved him and looked up to him as a leader. And then, so the players did as well. And the moment the players turned their back, I'm like, nope, Black Dragon. 
He was a black dragon the whole fucking time. So sorry, blue dragon. He was a blue dragon the whole time. So and he was just in disguise. I love ASMRs as as doppelgangers or or black dragons or hags in disguise. One thing that that you don't see a lot of are female ASMRs. You see a lot of like you tend to go male, especially in the artwork I found online. There were not a lot. They just look like girl angels. Mm. Every time you see an ASMR, they got their wings popped out, and they always have a halo. And the girls are always wearing that like I'm going to use breastplate, but like emphasis on breast plate because it's fucking do nothing for you yeah Mm -hmm. so um i I feel like i want to see more female asmrs as well like that that calling the same way that there's a lot of female tieflings but not as many male tieflings in the like online art community Mm. i guess just sexy devil girl is more popular i kind of imagine them being a little androgynous you know because i mean most of the angels they don't really go for gender so I kind of yep. imagine it, if this is half divinity, then it's kind of, it's David Bowie. Cool. And I'm all over that. that yeah. He's totally in it. No, he's a genasi. Oh, I want him to be an ace more so bad. <laughs> oh, oh we, have, we have sparked something in Megan. <laughs> all right. I have one final question for you guys. Let's stick in the same initiative order. When you are a dungeon master, because I don't think I've asked either of you guys this before on the podcast. How do you feel about flying characters? Flying all the time? Like they have a constant fly speed? Any fly speed. Because you know half of the time that a, a protector ASMR pops the wings is because he's got to get up on the cliff. Or he's going to go scout. It's not always combat. Right? How do you feel about that as a DM? I'm going to handicap it. Like I'm not going to... I don't know. If it's the protector ability, right? Where they get up for one minute? Sure. Fine. It's great. But if it's... Like const- Aarakocra? Yeah. But if it's, like, constant, I, I'm going to handicap it. So it depends on what you're wearing. Like, you're not going to get your 30 feet of fly speed if you're wearing full plate mail. Aarakocra have 50 feet of, of fly speed. Yeah. It okay. is insane. Then yeah. they're gonna, you're going to get 30. Kind of yeah. Thing. Like, I, it's going to be handicapped. And I will let you know that I'm definitely going to have threats for that are designed just for you in almost every, every encounter. Well, look, if you're going to fly up above the party, everyone around can see you. Mm. That, that's always my rule, right? Um, so you can go ahead and fly, but it's iffy. We actually had an Aarakocra get eaten by a purple worm in the last session because... Oh, and, and was super scared about going up. We were in a desert. Yeah. And the Aarakocra NPC did not want to go up because everyone else could see. So, um, and just because you're flying and hovering 10 feet above the ground does not mean you are not impervious to ground shit. Yeah. Stuff jumps. Megan, how do you feel? Would you would you be cool just DMing a flyer? Yeah, I don't really care. Honestly, it makes my job 10% more difficult for the exploration factor. But if I'm relying on cliffs and gaps and ledges for all of my exploration, I'm kind of doing a shitty job as a DM. That's what I mean. It's kind of like it, there's not a lot of opportunities where it's going to come up that much. Like that it becomes such an issue. And if it becomes an issue, there's a lot of things you can do as a DM to handicap without actually fully handicapping it. Like... You're in the forest. They want to fly up into the trees or something like that. It's raining. It's windy. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. there's there's things you can do to make deck flying, saves. Right. Yeah. It, there's things to make it difficult without looking like you as a DM are handicapping them. The other thing too that I want to remind you is that every ten feet you fall, you take one d six damage. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And being incapacitated eighty feet up in the air is a bad thing. So I don't even need to hit you with other flyers or magic missile. I just need to hit you with a status effect and down you go. Yeah. Right. So. 
Um, protector ASMR, I'm, let's say, okay, hold on. It was for a full minute, right? At 30 feet a minute. So they can fly for 300 feet. That's a long way to fall. Mm. Yeah. And remember, what goes up has to come down. And it, it they just disappear after a minute. So you should really only go 150 feet up. Because you got to come 150 feet down. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I think that's it for this discussion on ASMR, unless you guys have anything else you'd like to add. Nope. They both just shook their heads in this audio medium. Yeah, right. Uh, yeah. I also did air quotes earlier. And I <laughs> that's why I had to say air quotes yeah. out loud. Thank you for that. <laughs> okay, so we've got a lot more ground to cover with the playable races as we move forward. So check back regularly to see what inspirations and insights we'll have for you in the future. Next week, we're going to be digging into Bardic subclasses from Tasha's Cauldron of Everything, and uh, and as well as one from uh, Van Richten's Guide to Ravenloft. Hmm. So um, it says in my notes here that Dave is planning on singing at some point. So fuck, we may have to cut that out. <laughs> <laughs> He's gonna come with a recorder, you know that, right? Oh shit, he has he has a bag of instruments that he uses as a, as a bard. Or a DM that he whips out at the table just to annoy everyone else. My favorite one was the horn. He had had a fucking moose call in the call. We cut this in the Deep Dark Irradiance. He had a a, a moose horn. And he whipped it out. He was so proud. I'm going to pull out my my moose call and I'm going to blow hard. And we were all expecting a big like Gimli at freaking Moria blow. Nope. He blew on it and it went... <laughs> he just like he missed it somehow and it biffed so hard the whole room I thought Mieko was gonna pee the whole room was crying laughing he's like no 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 I got this I got this and then he hit it and it still just goes like that's the noise it is so like shitty I don't know and poor Dave was just like so funny he was red I thought he was gonna die it's my favorite Dave moment it was so funny so Dave with instruments is always good oh man that's that's the moral of this episode. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to ASMRs. Well, thanks for listening to another episode of the It's a Mimic podcast. If you'd like to support us, we have a donate button on our website at www.itsamimic.com, as well as a store for some awesome merch. We also rely on your word of mouth to get news of the podcast out there to the community, so please pass the word to everyone you know um, that we're available on iTunes, Spotify, and YouTube, as well as most other podcast apps. Thanks again for listening to It's a Mimic, where you never know what you're going to get. This has been an It's a Mimic production. Inquiries, requests, and questions for our mailbags can be sent to info at itsamimic.com. All right, so we've been talking a lot about lawful good stuff. Um, and I just wanted to bring up this uh, Tumblr post that I saw uh, where... It says, fact one, in most versions of D&D, uh, when infected, as opposed to natural born lycanthropes, uh, transform under the full moon. They assume the default alignment of their type during the ensuing mindless rampage. Fact two, in most versions of D&D, the default alignment of werebears is lawful good. So, when an infected werebear transforms under the full moon, they go on a mindless lawful good rampage. What would you guys think would happen during a lawful good Mindless rampage. I want to roll for this one. Yeah, let's have me. Oh, I was on a 16, Kyle. Ooh. We tied one 14 through All right. Why don't you just get the 16? Oh, no. All right, okay. So I'm going first, you're second, and Megan is third. Um, clearly, he runs around just angrily fixing everybody's, like, sheds. Like, what, like, like with a comb? Yeah. <laughs> that's what I imagine. Just like brushing everyone. Uh, no, I, not, not that not that kind of shedding. I mean like 
Jesus, Megan. No, he runs into the village and he's like, ah, the barn needs new shutters. And just like, like oh, angrily fixing. Oh, Mr. Fix it. Oh, yeah. Angry fix it. But like the way that you pictured Dan angrily fixing things, right? Like, I just need to get this done before the weekend because on the weekend it's supposed to rain. <laughs> I have so much to do, so little time. Exactly. I love that. Guy, what's an angry, good rampage? Oh, I imagine stealing a bunch of children, like, and just trying to take care of them as best as you possibly can. You know, it's like, oh, that's an orphan over there. Like, just see okay. a kid the, walking down the street. previously thought to have been having issues, yes. not in their stealing happy children from happy <laughs> parents. <laughs> just, just, just assumes that every child is an orphan. Yeah. <laughs> It's mindless, right? So it's not thinking it all the way through. It's like, it just sees a child by itself. It's all alone. I must take care of it. Oh my God. Um, for me, I feel, and this is coming from me, it's, I hate saying this out loud, but it would just be a bear running around hugging everyone. This is big bear hugs, hugging all of the children's, probably hurting a couple people in the process because it doesn't quite know how strong it is at this point. But it's just trying to hug everyone. I like the idea of like people just having fish thrown at the front doors too. Just like, why can none of you fish for yourselves? I will take care of each of you. Someone's angry mom. Yeah. Its name is Karen. <laughs> I almost said taint. What's the opposite? Blessing to, to them? I was going to say wrinkly old like, man, and then you said taint, and then yeah. that just made a whole lot of weird connections in my brain. We, we, I don't expect you to be the dirty one on the podcast, Megan. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was an evil grin. <laughs> so, 160-year-old Harrison Ford. <laughs> no, thanks. <laughs> I take it back. <laughs> don't want that raisin. So, uh, <laughs> I don't want that raisin. <laughs> No two scoops of that guy for me. No two scoops. <laughs> Wait, what? What am I talking about now? Duh. Oh, okay. Um, what was the question again? <laughs> well, thanks for listening to another episode of the It's a Mimic podcast. <laughs> Thanks for sounding so enthusiastic. But you make it, Dave, play an instrument. I also have one more joke that I didn't think was very appropriate, so I wanted, to, but I wanted to share it with you. Sure. Guys. Yeah. What do you call someone with? Sorry. What do you call someone with a lisp who murders angels and ghosts? What? Ethereal killer. <laughs> Ethereal killer. <laughs> Fuck. That was oh, a good one. I like that one. God. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> that was really Thanks for listening. Bye.